Thanks. Um, my name's Dale Ginn. I'm the uh, managing director for Aston Minerals. Uh, it's ASX listed. Uh, ASO is the symbol. And um, we have a, a new maiden resource on a new nickel discovery we, we made uh, about 15 months ago. Uh, it's quite large. We also have a, uh, a maiden resource on a, on a gold deposit called Enelston. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll talk a little further on that. Dale, thank you for the introduction. Nice to meet you. Uh, you're being very modest there. Your your maiden resource in your nickel is is over a billion tons. From from 15 months ago to a billion tons is some going. Yeah, it was quick. I mean, um, that's from discovery. So we were, you know, very aggressive in terms of our drilling, um, but I think it speaks to the homogenous nature of the deposit that we were able to build tonnage as quickly as we as we work. Uh, how many how many meters did you have to drill for that? And how many holes and, and what was your total meterage roughly? Roughly, well, we did about 20,000, sorry, just under 30,000 meters of drilling in the past, say, four, 14 months. Um, I, I can't remember the number of holes, but the average hole length, say, was um, five 500 meters. So, um, yeah, you can kind of work out the meterage from there. About 600 holes. 500 meters depth, is that because uh, it was mineralized from surface to depth? Because I'm, I, I, uh, when I look at your presentation, you talk about the dimensions being about 500 meters. So uh, that sounds like quite a lot of continuous mineralization. Yeah, well, the, the unit is uh, well over six kilometers long. And... Um, kind of averages say 100 to over 500 meters thick uh, and we drilled it down as deep as 700 meters so it's open at gap um, the resource obviously is a is is tighter more of your indicated resources is, is within about a two kilometer strike length and then the drill spacing gets further apart as you move away from that core uh, and that's where you're indicated. Uh, there's quite a lot of unclassified. So if you look at that model, you could see that the resource only takes in a, a portion of, of what we actually modeled as the unit. Given that homogeneity, is is it uh, is it is the grade predictable along strike as it is down dip or, or, or uh, with depth? Yes, um, and also down dip. You've got you've got those three dimensions. You know, go across the body, down dip, and along strike. You know, what what are the what's the grade variation in those three directions like, please? It's very, um, I'd say, extremely continuous down dip, and uh, the cross sections will show show that in the model. Um, it's it's quite homogeneous within the tighter space drilling. So, I think. What what it does show is that more drilling will actually help you increase the grade over the whole unit. Uh, but the other thing is to look at the grade tonnage curve, and you'll see you can go upwards towards 1.7 billion tons and not lose too much grade. So that speaks to the homogeneity of the deposit. By dropping the cutoff down to where? Well, on paper, the cutoff was worked out by our consultants to about 0.12% uh, percent nickel. And that, you know, on paper, that looks good. 
that brings the tonnage to about 1.7 billion tons. Now, we we used uh, up with about a billion tons. We could go down to half a billion at higher grade, and um, those are the areas where the tonnage grade curves kind of cross, and they look to be kind of the more logical places to put your uh, to to have your resource at. These are these are kind of fantastical numbers, and in, in one of the challenges in the nickel market over time has been finding large uh, sulfide resources that that work economically. And here you are, 15 months after making a discovery, pulling out a billion tons of the stuff. You know, there's quite a lot to, for a simple uh, resource geologist like me, it's quite a lot for me to process. So just to taking a step back, how did it start? Why, why in that particular part of the Canadian Shield did you say right there there that's where we're going to look well number one we were we were drilling a gold deposit and we kind of moved off the gold deposit in into trying to extend it to the east and we came across a mineralization broad mineralization in a in a mafic volcanic that just didn't seem right and it was low-grade nickel basically throughout like a couple hundred meters of 0.2% nickel. And we were basically, that led us to chase that mineralization to the south into a true ultralafic intrusive uh, complex. And it, that, that's the boomerang shape I'm talking about. And so we chased into the proper geology, basically. And once we were in the, in the proper geology, uh, the unit shows up very, very well in, in geophysical terms. And it was, I guess, relatively easy for us to target at that point. Reading your news release, the, the three, and looking at your presentation, the three main um, nickel-bearing minerals are Pentlandite, Hazelwoodite, and Millerite, which are all three of them sulfides. Do they, do they all have a metallic luster? And, and when you drilled into that extension Correct. of... Eccleston Gold, did you see that these were sulfides and think, hang on, we need to assay this, we need to sample this? Yeah, absolutely, we did. Uh, mainly it was pyrotite up at the, you know, in the Golds area uh, with the low-grade nickel uh, after it was assayed. Uh, but as we move into the proper geology, as you said, the uh, the sulfide minerals became basically pentlandite and millerite and basically high tenor nickel sulfides and that is i think what is the the largest differentiator uh for our deposit to some other low-grade nickel deposits is that this is a a truly uh a, a sulfide high tenor nickel sulfide uh, deposit you also talk about serpentinization which is a um when you have these ultramafic rocks like peridotites and dunites which are very high percentages of magnesium and iron in them with these right dominant minerals, olivine and pyroxene, when they get serpentinized, when they get altered by these hydrothermal fluids, serpentinite is a very clay, kind of gr palish green kind of clay mineral. Are you saying that, and I've seen you use the word serpentinite, is that, um, or serpentinization, is, is it that whole process, is it a whole rock alteration of um, the, the these, these olivines and pyroxenes? Right. 
And, you know, to begin with, these intrusives would have had their nickel caught up in the olivines. And through the process of alteration, your nickel's pushed out out of the olivines and into, say, low tenor sulfides like pyrotite. And then a further push in the alteration would upgrade the uh, the sulfide to uh, to to pevondites or millerites, and that's what's happened in our case, uh, due to um, we think due to large regional faults that run right through our uh, our ultrafic intrusive unit, and so it's given it that extra boost in alteration, if you will. That's basically as uh, you know, nature's kind of done some of the. Uh, upgrading for us, right? So, the, the, yes, yeah. The, the the geological and hydrothermal processes have liberated or transported or take, uh, taken out, leached the, the the nickel from the olivine and re-precipitated it in a sulfide form in that same rock unit, and that's due to the fluids that were passing through that rock. That, exactly, and, and that you know, fault has been reactivated over time and it's, it's, it's done the work numerous times. And, uh, and that is the, the biggest differentiator and probably a really good, uh, geological exploration model now for these peritite dunite bodies. You need to have some structure, uh, that goes along with them in order to upgrade your nickel and um, a dunite. If I'm, if I remember my my ignis petrology, a dunite is ninety percent olivine. Yeah, that's high olivine. Yeah. Uh, you know they're massive uh, ultramafic bodies, right? And uh, yeah, the highly the perpendicularization makes makes them makes the magnetics show quite well as well. But the, the, the it's only economic if the nickel is been leached out of the out of the olivine and put into a what's the word you used a high tenor sulfide yeah it's it's economic in a current uh sense of um of what processes are you know commercial and are available right so in your normal flotation type scenario ours works uh some of you know some of the other lower grade deposits require additional uh, mag separation or such other things that may not be available yet commercially. So what happens now? So you've, you've published a resource. Um, has your I, I I haven't checked your stock price in the last half an hour or so since it since it's opened. But um, has has the market responded well to it? I, I would say it's up around fourteen percent on the day, and um, had it. Very good spike in volume, um, you know. So, I think we traded over ten million shares. So, I think that's that's a pretty good sign that the market uh, likes it. And what next? You know, what what happens now? What's happening on the ground? Where are you with your drill rigs? What's happening with the team? Where are you with cash? Well, we're not. We don't have a burn rate to speak of. Not not a very high. It's very, I mean, basically, the company is. Um, extremely thin on um, overhead and um, so we're not burning a, a lot of money right now but we are going to employ uh, a drill on possibly 
some of the gold extensions because we may be able to add some ounces very quickly. Uh, as far as the nickel goes, we're we're likely moving to a more of a you know debt development pre feasibility sort of stage, and um, that we're looking at our options as far as uh, what kind of a team will that we require to do that. Uh, we think we we know some people that are interested already, but we're also going to show the resource and market it, and uh, we'll see what kind of reaction we get from uh, you know large corporates and whatnot who have already a lot of them who have already expressed an interest you know at least to uh, to look at it and meet and uh, and do their due diligence. I, I see that you're an Australian company which doesn't bring with it a requirement to publish a the full technical report on the on the website. It's simply you have the requirement to publish the summary of the technical report. And I've written enough of those, and I've seen enough of those to know that they they often bear no relation to the back of the technical report or the body of the technical report. Um, are you going to publish your technical report? I believe we will. I don't see any reason not to. I think we can be quite open, as open as possible, open whole data room. And uh, I, I, I really don't see any reason not to publish the... Uh, the full technical report. When you look at the resource, it seems as if, thanks to the geological homogeneity, it's not. There's not a great deal of um, doubt about the 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 unit and the mineralization. What 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 drill hole spacing do you need for inferred resources? Well, it's it's not a hard, um, you know, distance. Uh, each deposit has its own characteristics, right? But. Uh, for us, we used um, 100 meters for an in indicated and 200 meters for an inferred. And in this kind of deposit, seems quite reasonable. I think uh, it's been used elsewhere. And our um, consultants that did the work are, have a lot of experience um, in these large, uh, bulky type deposits, uh, nickel, copper, for the most part. And that is how you can build up a large tonnage with a small amount of drilling, because you don't have to have so many drill holes to cover the same strike length and the same the same um, uh, width and depth. Yeah, it's it's not not like a complex gold deposit, right? Uh, there's a lot of confidence on continuity over you know 100 or 200 meters when you consider the um, the unit is over six kilometers long, and we really didn't put. Um, when you look at the model versus sort of uh, what's unclassified and what is classified, I think the unit is likely well above four to six billion tons. And it seems that the um, am I do I remember recall rightly that the indicated grade was zero point two six percent nickel and the inferred was point two four percent. Was it were the other way around? Uh, that that's a bow rate depends. It depends on the cutoff grade that you use. There's a, it's. I think it's a little higher than what you said, but you can add about a 0.02 to 0.03 cobalt for your nickel equivalent. Yeah. Uh, we've already determined that the uh, the cobalt does recover uh, nicely with the nickel, and that makes sense because it's generally going to be in the pentmundite. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just looking up the the the, the resource notes. There we go. I've got 1.04 billion tons at 0.27% nickel and 0.04% cobalt, so 0.3% nickel equivalent. 
Um, there you go, yeah. And um, sorry, the numbers I was quoting were um, Canada nickel numbers. So that they're measuring that. Yeah. And so really, I guess the next step is is firming up on the metallurgy. And I see that you're, you've got a 12-month program of understanding the metallurgy. Can you just talk me through that, um, you know, what you know so far and what you are hoping to uh, gain uh, over the next 12 months in terms of knowledge? Well, what, what we know, we, we knew early on that really the, the question everyone would ask is, you know, what is your nickel hosted in? Great, we saw a nickel deposit, but does it recover? And uh, so we used SPX Labs, which is a, a division of Glencore in, in Sudbury, and um, sent very various grades, uh, composites through to them with our drill holes. And um, we found a, a very, like, and this is, you got to remember, this is first pass metallurgy. So it's, they just run it through a standard coarse grind uh, flotation and we found um, you're getting right off the the bat first pass like uh, fifty to sixty plus percent recoveries overall, and seventy two uh, out of your flotation. Uh, we're producing float cons, so we're pre producing concentrates of anywhere between eleven and uh, over twenty percent. So basically, the range of of uh, the cons. That they produce in the first place would fit, would go into any any commercial smelter, even down the road at Sudbury, which is, you know, a two and a half hour drive from where we are. What do they take? We you know will they take eleven percent nickel in a concentrate? Yeah, that, that's that's about where they want to be. Eleven to fourteen is what I understand. Uh, but you know, that's a blend for them because they have numerous other mines already feeding their smelters. Um, but I think. The, the the one thing to consider is that this is this deposit's is so large it it's likely not just going to be a feeder for another smelter. I think uh, you you're probably looking at a, a con that feeds you know directly to a, a battery plant or something like that. So talk me through what the um, the next stages of metallurgy you're going to be doing. You're going to, you're going to be uh, under. Will you be testing out, I don't know, X-ray um, sorting, um, um, XRD sorting and ore sorting? on, Or is it all about optimization of the concentration processes through flotation? What have you got planned for this year? Yeah. I don't believe, I don't think sorting is, is going to be an issue. Um, I think it, it looks all pretty standard. So I think you're going to talk, we're going to talk about um, grind sizes, uh, with, you know, coarsening them up or, or, or even, or fine. Uh, you got to talk about, uh, flocculants, you know, additional reagents just, uh, and, and it doesn't, slimes do not seem to be a problem. Uh, now you want to knock, knock them out as early as you can with, with the flocculants, but, but that's, you know, those, that's, that's fine tuning and that's, uh, that's metallurgical work. So I think all we're, we're going to do is, um, probably provide more product to the lab so variable grades through the uh, you know a bigger part of the deposit um, and then let them do their work in terms of uh, optimizing right um, in terms of optimizing the uh, the grind size and, and the reagents that are re 
going to be required. You mentioned that the there are a number of regional faults that, cr- that have altered the geology along your six and a half kilometres. Does each fault have its own signature, so to speak, of mineralizing styles or or is is there some commonality between the the, the faults well the, the the faults that i'm talking about are running in a roughly northeasterly direction um they they seem to be um similar in terms of uh you know they're 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 deep-seated faults and and they've likely reactivated and provided uh fluids and alteration uh over time for and so it would it'll depend on what the host unit like what is what of the faults actually intersected and um you know and then how much sulfide was in the system and in our case there seems to be a lot of sulfide in the system especially when you look up even towards the gold uh district in the north there was you know hundreds of meters of of pure type bearing rock uh, kind of cutting through our gold deposit. Um, there was plenty of um, sulfur available, um, and the, the 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 geology of the ultramafic units is is relatively homogeneous over the six and a half kilometers. So that's uh, yeah. And uh, do you see kind of a great variation away from the regional faults? Have you been able to locate those faults and map them? We've um, mapped them quite accurately. Um, they show up quite well in uh in in even in older geology maps they were mapped so uh they're not a surprise it's just uh the fact is that they've helped things along in our case tell me what the year ahead um holds for you in terms of kind of what are the main uh activities that you've got blocked out for the for the rest of 2023 please well i think i think uh metallurgy is going to be a, a part of it um, I think marketing and, um, basically, you know, deciding what our, deciding to the numerous options that, that we have in front of us, uh, fortunately with Aston, you know, we have large shareholders, uh, the largest, like Tolga, our, our chairman. So we have the stock, you know, in pretty good control. And uh, I think, I think it, what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of visits, a lot of site visits, um, a lot of offers to either you know partner or what have you. But the beauty is, I think we hold the cards here. Uh, so so really, there's just there's going to be a lot of um, deciding. Uh, what the best path for the shareholder is here uh, this year. So in a sense, the, the bulk of the work of defining the resource has been done, as you've shown today, having defined that resource. And it's it's such a n- new entrant into the market that you've effectively described a year of catching up. You've, the, the market needs to catch up with what you've got and where you're at. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it has a, it, that's part of it, which occurred so quickly. Uh, from discovery to a resource that, yeah, there's some catch-up to do. And uh, being ASX-listed, it's likely some North American catch-up to do, more so than uh, than Australian. The um, the metallurgy, the process that you worked on, or that you described, that's that 
basically happens behind um, closed doors, really. And he, he, typically in metallurgical programs, you it just condenses into a black box and kind of disappears into a laboratory. And then six months, nine months, 12 months later, the kind of the, the, the guys come out kind of slightly dusty and slightly dizzy in their lab coats and say, here are the results. I, I don't know if, I, I think SPX is um, a little quicker than that. Um, I think we'll be able to put out results more uh, on a more continuous basis there. Uh, because it's not complex. Like this isn't, uh, this, we're not, like this isn't a new chemistry kit we're dealing with. This is uh, pretty standard uh, nickel bearing sulfide for them. That um, is good to be, good to reiterate that point. Yeah. Um, tell me about your um, shareholder register and how many shares does uh, Tolga uh, own? Um, Tolga, remind me of the name, um, his surname. Um, uh, Kamova. Tolga Kamova, Kum, Tolga yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think he's around just under 10%. I don't know exactly the, uh, the number of shares, but... Uh, you know, and it, likely if you include um, associates and whatnot, it's it gets into the you know twenty plus percent range. Do you have any institutions on the shelter register? There's some very good ones: Ruffer, Franklin, to name a few. Uh, a couple of good Canadian funds: uh, K2 Extract, uh, Vivid. These are just some of the ones I can you know, recall. But uh, they and they came in uh, when they raised money back about a year ago. So they understand the business, and I think they're long-term good supportive shareholders. How much did you raise a year ago? Uh, I think that was around twenty-nine million. And at, at what? Can you remember what price that was done at? I believe um, it was a like it was a charity slow-through. Oh yeah. So the back end. Price was around fourteen cents. I right. think it's interesting, isn't it? You know, um, twenty twenty two was a dreadful year for resource companies, particularly explorers, um, where valuations were crushed. And your your company has been through this extraordinary discovery process, and yet you're trading at uh, the same price or slightly lower than you when you raised capital a year ago. And the whole point about raising capital in an exploration company is to spend the money to to define valuable minerals um you've certainly done that it's just that the market hasn't seemed to have caught up with the fact that you you've got those that valuable mineral yeah i think we were pushed down with everyone else um you know in uh, in may may june last year but we're on the recovery road it looks like uh I don't think we were pushed down as badly as, as a lot of companies. Um, but we just, you know, we were, we, we had the window, um, when we raised the money, I think it was quite, quite timely and, um, we've used the money well. Um, I mean, we now have in hand, uh, a gold and a nickel maiden resource. And I think we probably exceeded even our own expectations on, on both fronts. Was the gold discovery also relatively recent? Yeah, the, the resource was put out uh, about two months ago. And yeah, the um, it was interesting because we surprised ourselves the extensional drilling that we did 
produced a lot more ounces than we thought. So we were very happy with that. And with what that means is we can likely, with not you know not a lot of drilling, uh, add ounces quickly to. And uh, I've in your news release you've described it as being a um, a non-core uh, asset, um, or. Uh, I think you referred to gold and other non-core assets. It weren't quite explicit describing the gold as non-core, but clearly the big the, the big game in town is the nickel. Yeah, the nickel dwarfs the gold. There's no doubt. Um, but you know, as it as as the nickel enters a different stage, um, you know, the nickel may dwarfs. Well, it dwarfs our management team in terms of who's going to take it forward. And we, what we, what we're saying about the gold is it likely will need to be, um, separate from, from the nickel in order to get value. Like people are not going to give us value for, for a gold resource within such a large nickel deposit. Um, right? Interesting. Well, um, thank you very much for that, uh, introduction to your asset. I mean, it's, it's, um, perhaps because it's an Australian company, perhaps because uh, it's a new discovery, but it's my first uh, awareness of of the asset. So it's it's been fascinating, and I particularly like the um, the understanding about the high tenor nickel sulfide in this deposit, which differentiates it from yeah. other uh, let's call them low grade uh, deposits. It's the Hazelwoodite, the Millerite, and the uh, Pentlandite that, yeah. that make the nickel concentrate uh, clean and simple to extract. Uh, that's exactly right. I think you uh, you nailed it there. Good. Well, I look forward to you nailing it for the rest of the year. Get out there, get the get the wear through that shoe leather, and um, good luck telling the story. Right on. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me.